The lights come up. The camera focuses. You are somewhere between and the reality of your life is on show. We feel compelled to put on a show all the time and on the stage of life, it is filled with some award-winning performances that most will never get to see on stage. Not all of our stories are glamorous. I am Philip Clark. Join me today as we unearth the many roles of real people who share their journey and the lessons learned on that journey. Welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. Yes, so here we are once again with a very, very, very important guest. I am so excited. This is our second, no, on a second, on a second, the third, you see all time ago, third, mm -hmm. third interview, third guest on Lights, Camera, Real Life, season two. And this particular day, I have a very special person. Let me tell you something now. I, I can't tell him how much I am very honored to have audience with him this morning because it's somebody I respect a whole lot, somebody I admire, and somebody who inspires not just me, but a whole lot of people. So I am going to invite to the stage, lights, camera, real life, Mr. Kanot Lawrence, what a go thank on. You. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Kanot, you all right? Always yeah, man, it's my, it's, I'm, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. It's my pleasure to be here. And um, I just give thanks for um, the gift of life and for the gift of family and friends. And mm -hmm. you know, well with I'm happy. Mm -hmm. I'm not seeing you. I don't know why I'm not seeing you. Okay. Look like your your video went out for a little ah, bit. Yes. There I'm you back, go. I'm back. Yes, man. And in live and living color. I mean, I want a piece of dashika here my people. I mean, I tell the same can't support him African wearing you know, because I'm <laughs> very proud I'm Africanness. Very proud. <laughs> yeah, man. So I cannot. I did have a little um, introduction for you. So I can go ahead and do it, sir. Go on through, no, go on through, young man. <laughs> All righty. Ladies and gentlemen, my friends who are listening to this moment, to this conversation, he has been a language and literature teacher for more than three decades. Yes, I read that right. Three decades. And on a small fry, me, I deal with this, this morning on a small fry, okay? This is the big league, sonny. He has taught in the public school system in Jamaica, the United States, and Canada. So you see how international. Mm -hmm. He is a thespian. Oh, yes, having performed in the pantomime in Jamaica and directed several theater productions in Jamaica, New York, Toronto. And of course, he currently resides in Toronto. He is also an author, author of a collection of poems called Pathology of a Pandemic or of the Pandemic. Yes, and he currently resides 
in Toronto where he works full-time with the Toronto District School Board. Yeah, but tell me a little bit about that then, um, Kamil, because that is something that I'm excited to know about. Now, that is how he describes himself, but I would like to describe him as a self-assured, effervescent, intuitive, and a Jamaican son who deserves to be celebrated. Canute, welcome to Lights, Camera, Real Life. Thank you, thank you so much, Philip. Thank you so much for that um, beautiful introduction. Thank you, oh. I mean, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm accepting it. Thank you oh. so much. <laughs> I hope I did it justice. <laughs> So, ladies and gentlemen, I hear I, I, you heard me talk about the fact that um, Mr. Canute is, is an actor and teacher. Now, those are two very important professions, and, and I really want to get going to a little bit about that. But most importantly, he's going to share. He's going to share with us today about those journeys, yes, because he's had several as a teacher, as an actor, as a director, as, a, as, a, as an author. And the lessons learned on that journey are invaluable. And let me tell you something. We don't know if this program is enough to talk about them, but we're going to try. We're going to try to really bring out some of those things this morning. Now, joining us from all the way from Canada, Toronto, Canada, Canute. Uh -huh. You were in the pantomime in Jamaica, and I kind of wanted to start there because I think those were some fun times. Those are some really great times for you. And uh, you have such a beautiful voice. I mean, this guy, you know, when you look at him, he's so tall and alluring and you, you're not, you have to see him when he's on stage and full of energy. How did you get involved with the pantomime in Jamaica? Ah, that's a very interesting question. So when, while I was a student at the Michael College at the time, now Michael University College, um, I was in, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a member of the 149th batch. And so in our 150th year, um, Michael and the board and everything had a big one-year celebration. Among the celebration and, and activities was to have, was to um, showcase a Michael pantomime so they commissioned um, the late Mrs. Barbara Gudon, OD, mm -hmm. to write the script of um, Michael Jackson. And so I auditioned Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. My, yeah, Michael Jackson, <laughs> upon and Michael Jackson, yes. <laughs> and um, so I was, I was cast as the principal in the, in the production, Mr. You know, Mr. Shirley, that role. And um, it was it was really it was fun. It was wonderful. You know, we had a we had a good run at the college at the time, and uh, and Brian Heap was the director. Ah, oh, Doctor Brian Heap. Right, Doctor Brian Heap. So um, having performed in the pantomime, the pantomime Michael Jackson, the following year, I said, you know what? I think I love being in a pantomime, and I'm going to audition for the LTM National Pantomime of Jamaica, which I did, and I got through and I got through. So that was how I came to be in the pantomime. My first pantomime was Schoolers. And if you recall, Schoolers was one of those pantomimes that had sold out audiences from yes. 
Boxing Day yes. until it we, we closed, I think, sometimes because we you know we had to go extra time into April and May. Yes. And I and I think I've done about seven more pantomimes since, you know, performing in, you know, um supporting roles to lead roles. Yes, you were in Moonshine, I think, as well. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. 50-50, Jungle Rock, Moon Splash. I was in quite a few pantomimes in my in my in my day. That that pantomime experience of coming out on the stage and just being that character. Uh, did you always feel the character and did you always feel like you can do this? Yes, um, you know, the pantomime, I must say, and I, and I thank Barbara Gludon, you know, may her soul rest in peace, and Brian Heap, you know, for my time, you know, my sojourn, my acting days in the pantomime, because it really, it really prepared me to be more articulate, mm -hmm. to, to study my character's in, um, in, 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 with more critical thoughts. So it also helped me as a teacher. Right. You know, you know, there's so much I learned from drama. And I know in Jamaica I, I, um, that, you know, a lot of people don't want young men to do drama because they feel as if it's not good enough. You know, it won't make them, you know, manly and all kinds of stereotypes. But, um, you know, drama and theater helped me significantly to, to process my own insecurities. Uh, you know, it 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 really requires a lot of critical thinking. So to be an, yeah. to be a very good actor, to be an actor, you have to be smart. You have to be smart. Absolutely. It's not just it's not just fooling around and playing around on stage. Right. So even as a teacher, when I was teaching in Jamaica at Walmart and um, with New York and now Canada, I incorporated a lot of drama, drama, drama and dramatic techniques, and that has made. The cl my class is much more engaging. It, it says it's not just me standing and talking, but it's having my students engaging in critical thinking processes. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, so it has helped me in terms of honing my confidence because when I was younger, you know, mm -hmm. going, going to, you know, primary school and all of that, um, I was not very confident. Yes, I was bright. Yeah, I was very, I was bright, but I don't think I was very confident because of, you know, issues of, my color and my hair. And um, it, it has been a long journey. People Hello. see me, people see me now and say, oh, you know, Kanuch, you're so confident. It's a pity that they, they don't know that I was not always confident. Well, well, I, well, 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 tell them now, cause me want to know. Tell them now what they don't know. You grew up in a place called uh, Waterhouse uh, in Jamaica. Mm -hmm. And you, who are now an illustrious uh, educator and uh, actor, you're an experienced man. You came from what we would say in Jamaica, humble beginnings. What is, was that experience like? And how did you navigate yourself out of that and the impact it has had on you, even on the rest of your life? You know, growing up in Olympic Gardens and Waterhouse, was an interesting time. It was good and it wasn't so good. Mm -hmm. You know, for many, many reasons. Um, I grew up, my, well, I grew up with my grandmother who is now deceased. Um, she had me when I was about two and a half weeks old. Right. Because uh, my, my, my biological mother had um, split from my father just when I, a few weeks after I was born. 
And then he developed, uh, well, he had an, a medical issue with his stomach. So he was admitted to the university hospital. And then, um, you know, he, they did surgery on him that they cut him open and work on his stomach. And then, of course, after the surgery, he fell into a coma for months. So when my, when my dad went, you know, was admitted, my grandmother had to take me at two and a half weeks old. So I was never breastfed or, you know, had that type of um, rearing, you know, from, you know, from my, my mother. Um, you were never breastfed? No. Hmm. So, um, I, you, know, you know, science, you know, scientists say that, you know, you know, um, kids who are breastfed are maybe about 50, 60, 70% um, more likely to become more rounded and so they say. whatever. So they say. <laughs> so they say. So, you know, and I, and I grew up with my grandmother who was very strict. She was very, I mean, you know, I am grateful for the fact that she did take me in, you know, but at the same, and, and I guess I, I, I maybe would have been a, I would have been put in a, in a, in some home or some orphanage of some orphanage, sort, yeah. you know, so I'm grateful that I was, you know, that I was, you know, I, I, I was, I was, I was living with my grandmother, but she was also very strict to the point where many times I just, I hated her, you know, I hated her because she was so strict. She used to beat me mercilessly. Anything she could find, she would beat me with. I remember the hose. She always had a hose. And if I did anything wrong, and sometimes I did things wrong, yeah. And if I did anything wrong, it was she would send me for the hose. Um, sometimes I think at one point I think I might have thrown away the hose, and you know anything she caught, that's what was coming. So I grew up with this fear for my grandmother. I, I was I was in fear of her, you know. Um, I had you know I I had my chores of sweeping the yard, cleaning the house, doing my dishes, the dishes and stuff like that. And I remember one particular situation, she was coming from work and it was windy. And I swept the yard because we had huge mango trees, ackee trees, pear trees, orange trees, just lots of trees in, in, in both the back and the front yards. And I was, and I swept the yard very quickly because I knew she was coming. I could, I could look over the fence, over the, the gate, and I could see her coming from down the street. And I, and I was just cleaning up and it kept, the wind kept blowing. And so, so the wind kept blowing, so the leaves kept coming down. And when she came, when she got to the gate, um, you know, she stood and she looked around and she said to me, and she called me. And she said, can you? And I said, yes, Granny. She said, why is the, the, the yard not, not swept? I said, Granny, I swept the yard, but you know, it's windy, you know? And of course she said, why am I back answering her, back talking her? And I got a piece of beating that day, a piece of beating, you know, and I used to, I, I, I often ask myself, why is she beating me? I mean, I did nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. Why is she beating me, you know, as like, like I'm a slave? Because that's how I felt. That is how I felt, like I was a slave, um, you know, and I just couldn't, I just, my little brain couldn't understand it. You know, some, some things I did wrong, like if I, I would go, go out and I would, I would come in late, yeah? And I get that. But she would often beat me to the point where I, it, it, was, it was hard. It was hard, mm. and so I I grew up I grew up with parent fear. I ran away um, from my from home, but I came back after a day because I mean I had nowhere else to go, and um, it I felt obligated to her. That's how I felt, mm. and I remember when I migrated when I, when I went to New York to teach, 
and I would send my I would send my sister to look after my grandmother, you know, money every single month. So for the five years I lived in New York, I sent money, sometimes five hundred dollars U.S., sometimes more, because I just felt that I had to do it, you know. And I don't know if I was right, and I don't know if I was wrong. And one year I flew down to Jamaica because I wanted to confront my grandmother to ask her why she was so, why she beat me so much. In my head, why, she, why was she so cruel to me? And, you know, she was, she was hard of hearing, you know, growing up, but I think the, her situation became worse. And when I went down, no matter what I said, no matter how loudly I spoke and made gestures, she couldn't understand. She kept saying, she doesn't know what I'm saying. So I said, okay, let me write it on a piece, my questions on a piece of paper. And I, I would ask her one question at a time. And I realized that it was, I looked at her age and I looked at her situation and I said, you know, it's not gonna work out because I'm not gonna get a free flowing conversation with her. Cause I just wanted her to say to me, why, you know, why, why she treated me that way? Why would she call me sometimes um, a black hog and that nothing black, no good. She used words like that to me, yeah. And I decided that, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to have to forgive her and move on. You know, mm -hmm. I wanted closure. I really wanted closure from her because this is a, a woman that I grew up with. She, she took care of me, yes. When I went to medical college and I needed a school fee, she drew the money out of her, out of her bank account and she gave it to me. So I'm ambivalent. I was ambivalent yeah. with, you know, with that. But, um, you know, I, I kind of rationalized by saying, you know what, she didn't know any better. She didn't know any better. She wasn't educated. And I just accepted it at that. And so growing up with my grandmother in Olympic Gardens, um, I saw a lot of trauma. I experienced a lot of trauma. And I sucked it up. I sucked it up. And um, I just I just wanted to do well, you know. Yeah. And um, my grandmother is now gone. And I think about her still. I do think about her. I do think about her, you know. But... My a lot of that, a lot of that kind of, kind of, kind of molded me into the person that I am today. Yes, my friends, my friends, uh, we're talking to the great Canute Lawrence. Uh, he's an educator, he's an actor, an author, and he's just recounting his childhood story. And this story is very moving, very, very moving, and very personal. And I really appreciate him sharing the story. Canute, do you think that this is an experience that a lot of Jamaican boys may have also gone through. Yes, yes, I, I, yes. I, I've, I've seen it in myself and I've seen it with other young, young men and friends that I've had over the years. And sometimes, you know, we, we have certain very personal conversations and we would talk. And then in our exchanges, we realize that we've had basically the same, very similar upbringings, similar experiences, you know, and, um, as young as men, oftentimes we don't like to share our emotions. We keep it, we keep them bottled inside. And, you know, and that also affects us mentally. It affects us mentally, it affects us emotionally, it affects us psychologically, because many times we think that we're, 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 we're the only one going through these experiences and, 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 and they're traumatic. They're traumatic, you know. Um, when, I was, when I was in the 80s, when the 
partisan election was, you know, was, was at its height and with the, the killings and stuff. And I remember going to Woolmers as a first former, because I mean, I was excited to go to Woolmers and walking through gun battle, heated gun battle between Compound, which is the JLP, was the JLP area, and um, where I lived, because I was, I was just, I was on the border of the PNP and JLP faction. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember walking over um, dead bodies, you know? Wow. So if, if, I, if I should recount some of the things that I and my, my peers going to other high schools went through, we should have been getting some serious, serious counseling. Yeah. You know, but we, you know, we, we didn't. Somehow we found the strength, I suppose, and you know to, to 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 bear it and to deal with it but a lot of us are going through trauma yeah your transition from <clears throat> jamaica to to the states how did that happen and uh, what motivated you to do that ah uh, financial financial reasons was the was the main one my grandmother, um, you know, she developed arthritis, so she was no longer mobile. She was kind of, she was bedridden and um, she had glaucoma. And um, my dad, he was, um, he became diabetic at maybe age 80 something. And my sister had to be looking after him. And so I would take, I would take both of them to hospital every week, mm. every single week, you know, Luckily, I had, um, you know, colleagues, teachers who would cover for me. So many times I had to leave, leave work early and, and drive to pick up my grandmother in Olympic Gardens, then take her to university hospital, pay for the expensive treatments and to get priority. And then I would take her back home. And then so on another day, the same week, I had to do the same thing for my father. That went on for months. And, you know, I... I felt that I owed it to them, I, I, you know, to do that. And I was spending, you know, literally tens of thousands of dollars. So of course, you know, I was teaching full-time, I'm in pantomime and I was writing for the Glean and Observer. And I was into a lot of things just to earn that extra money to take care of them. And at one point my savings plummeted from um, a half a million to about a hundred thousand. And I realized at the time that I had to leave because had I not left, after doing pantomimes and working at Woolmers and everything, I, re I realized that um, soon and very soon, less than a year, I couldn't take care of them. So I started looking for jobs in Grand Cayman, in New York, other, in England. Um, I, I, I interviewed, I got through for all of them, but I went for, to New York instead. So that's how I went to New York to teach. But had it not been for financial reasons i probably would have still stayed in jamaica right. so when people that a lot of us left jamaica and we're not faithful enough and we're not right. patriotic that's, that's not true right that is not true. right and I, and I, I thank you for that because that is a real 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 story you know you are a very talented teacher i mean i know this because i i, I don't only i don't only know of him me know why he can do so is a this man is an asset to to the jamaican education system and to have left like that, you know, it's it's really, it's so sad for some of us, but he has also contributed and is now helping to build the rest of the diaspora. Now, Kanut, when you move from Jamaica and go at States, it could never have been easy. The whole adjustment to the culture, 
to the social environment, to this education system. What was that like? Culture shock. Mm. <laughs> it was it was a culture shock um, to 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 be in New York. I mean, even though even though I mean, I did visit New York, you know, quite a few times before I decided to live there to to teach there. Um, so just educational system alone was you know it was a culture shock, and you know how they approached you know their the educational jurisdiction. Um, also, the racism racism was a big thing. You know, I encountered it in the schools with the white teachers. You know, and and other and teachers who weren't white but who thought that they weren't black, I encountered that. Um, so it was it was a big adjustment, and of course, you know, you know when you when you go through certain challenges, you don't just get very. I would have said Jamaica dark and ignorant and cuss and cuss too bad word. Right. You know, you just can't do that because you know you you will lose your job. Yeah, you can be the right and then give away your rights. So you can't just chop too bad word and, and thing. Yeah. So you learn how to navigate um, places and spaces in a very activist way, but also in a, in a, in a safe way. Of course, I don't believe that as, as a black man that I should always try to be safe because I mean, you know, I am a human being like anyone else and I, and I don't, and so when, when you see certain injustices being thrown at you, you know, I don't think anyone has the right to say, well, you know, your response should be contained. I don't think so. So I'm in a, I'm, I'm at a phase of my life where if I smell or detect any type of anti-black racism, you know, I meet it right there like a bull. I meet it like a bull and, um, and I make no apologies. And I make no apologies. You know, no one is going to tell me that, oh, you must be very polite about it. You're not being polite when you're not being polite. You're not being even humanistic when you are trying to, to, to degrade me or oppress me. So why should I, why should I now, um, you know, go to you and speak with you as if I'm, I'm, I want you to like me. So this is, this is how I've changed as, as a black man, because I remember before, you know, coming to North America, well, that was New York first. I did things always to please white people. Hmm. I'd make sure I dressed very well. I'd make sure my English was impeccable so that they would be impressed with me. I made sure that I did all the right things because I didn't want them to call me a thug. I didn't want them to call me, you know, a, a monkey. Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to, you know, I, I did all of that. You know, I did, and, and I was in my thirties, you know, but I realized that that doesn't even work because I always carried the weight of the black, the black, the black man and black woman on my shoulders. Yeah. Because you know, people have their perceptions of what it is to be black, mm -hmm. and they say, "Oh, you're inferior." This. So I always, when I met white people, I was extra polite because I wanted them to say, "Oh, I wanted them to say, oh, you know, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you, you know, you're really not, you know, black people are really not so and so." But that didn't, that didn't work. You know, that didn't work. And so I have, you know, in all my thinking and my critical processing, um, I just be myself and um, you either accept me or you don't. And I, and I, and quite frankly, I don't care. I don't care. Tell us about the, uh, that one of those experiences where you ex uh, had racism, uh, you experienced racism. Um, 
there was one instance where I I got a I got a part-time job. I got a part-time job, yes, in Toronto at a school. So I, I bought a Mercedes-Benz and I parked the car right beside the principal's um, the principal's um, space. So I got there very early and um, I think a lady comes into the office and she says, I see a beautiful black Benz out there beside the principal. Who, who is it? Of course, I'm there, I'm there reading something or pretending that I was reading. And the secretary was trying to tell her that it was me. And I'm, I'm kind of looking up. Mm-hmm. And she and the, the other person insisted, whose car is that? And then she said, it's that young man's car. And then she called me and she said to me, um, is, that re- is that really your car out there? And I said, yes, it's mine. And she said, how did you, and she asked me, how did you come to afford a car like that? And I'm a vice principal and I can't. Wow. And my response to her was, well, you know, um, I worked hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I had another situation again. I went to the barbers and I, you know, parked up my car because the barber didn't arrive yet. And another gentleman parked up beside me in a Jaguar. And while I was there sitting in, 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 in my car, um, he, I, I could feel him looking at me. He was looking at me and then he was looking at the car, trying to figure out, you know, something not, not adding up. And then he couldn't take it anymore. Something did bite him. So he came over to me and said to me, um, if that's my car, I said, we think he's sitting in it. <laughs> yeah. And then he asked me, um, how did I, and then he asked the same question the principal asked me, how did I come to afford a car like that? And I said, but oh. you are driving a Jaguar. So, you know, what's the point? He said, well, how did you afford the car? I said, well, you know, it cost me a pretty penny, but it's okay. Because I think he wanted me to say, and I, I wanted to say, you know what? I mean, drug dealing is actually quite, um, Oh know, my goodness. I, I wanted to say that, and I, I probably should have, but I say, you know, again, at the time, I didn't want, I'm, I'm trying to steer white people away from the stereotypes. stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, it's cost me a pretty penny, but it's okay. I'm trying to sound very polite with him. And I just, I just, I just turned up my, just wound up my window. You know, so I mean, you know, racism is in Canada. It's in it's in America, and I have, after years of experiencing it in the classroom, in the schools with with other teachers, I think I have now perfected the art of dealing with anti-black racism. You know, um, you know, you know, when 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 they shoot black people in America and all of that, and you know, they want us to always come with kindness and humility. I'm not for that. Honestly, I'm not for that. I am not for that. So what is your position? What is your position? There's a place for demonstration. There's a place for demonstration, you know, and I'm not saying burning down buildings. No, I don't want people to take it the wrong way. But I think that people people have the right to demonstrate and demonstrate very fervently. I also feel that not everybody can demonstrate. Uh, There are other tools in the box. You know, so like those of you who are good at writing and, you know, use your pen and write and send letters to the Congress and letters to this, you know, um, bombard institutions with, with, with emails and letters and, 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 um, and so on and so forth. You know, if, it, if, it, if, it, if it's an institution or, or a business, then boycott them, boycott them and let them, let them see that, you know what, our, our, our money also has the same value as another person's money, same value. So I believe in, in, in a multi-pronged approach to fight um, anti-Black um, racism. 
Ladies and gentlemen, my friend them out there in the diaspora, we are talking to Canute Lawrence. Canute is a man I would listen to all day, right? And he's talking about his experience after transitioning from Jamaica to North America and the racism that he has experienced. And a lot of us don't recognize that a lot of Jamaicans, a lot of Caribbean people who leave the islands and come to North America, we experience a lot of racism and a lot of other problems as well. Kanut, I, I believe that uh, Caribbean, Caribbean men, especially in the diaspora, have struggled with their identity as being black. And uh, you posted something you posted something about three years ago uh, titled Black, Gifted, and Gay. And uh, I believe you're passionate about allowing Caribbean men to really come into their own based on the struggles of Blackness, as you pointed out earlier, and also their sexual orientation. Can you tell us what motivated you to, to, to want to say that and to do that? Well, you know, so there was a TED talk on that issue. There was a TED talk on that issue of of um of um men of the uh, men of from African descent of African descent mm -hmm. from the Caribbean who come to North America, you know, and are struggling significantly with their identity of being black of being gay or bisexual, whatever, you know, terms, you know, they use. Because, you know, society expects black men to behave a certain way. Um, many, many white folks expect black men to behave a certain way. Hence, you know, we're, we're often called aggressive and thugs, you know, and of course, and if we pull back and try to be polite or whatever, then they say we're lazy. You know, you know those those racial epithets coming all the way back from slavery days, you know, and for me, I mean, I became I became the first, and 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 I don't I don't take pleasure in saying it, but I became I was told, and I was I was told this, I never asked for it, but I became the first black man to be the head of the English department at my high school. I mean, in, you know, and, and that was that was around 2000. Congratulations. 2013. And when I when I had my first meeting with the with, with my department members, everybody was white. And I was like, oh Lord, how do I do this? How do I do this? And so I was very, very intentional about trying to be trying to, to be very proper trying to be very articulate because you know these teachers are very you know they watch everything if, if i make one grammatical mistake they were going to get my head and so i dealt with that you know and i tried and i tried to you know to to make myself very marketable as a black man unfortunately that that's just how it is yeah so i dealt with that in terms of my own sexuality i kept that to myself I was, and even though it's, it's Canada, I was not going to go and say, oh, I am this and oh, I am that. I, I didn't think that would have, I didn't think that was necessary, for me it was necessary 
I just went there to do a job as a head of department to, to get the, the, the teachers to work together on, on initiatives. And I think I, and I think I did achieve that, you know. But back to the point, a lot of, a lot of um, black folks you know, who are of other sexual orientations then um, still continue to go through and experience um, you know, the, the isms. And I think it's an individual journey. Mm. I think it's an individual journey. What, what I might have done to, 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 to achieve some success, it may not be the same for another person. You know, mm. I just think that when it, when, it, when it comes on to knowledge and knowledge creation and knowledge acquisition, I think for the most part, for the most part, you know, I think um, we all have to find our individual pathway to our own um, self-enlightenment. I don't know if what I'm saying make, is making sense, you know. So do you so, believe, so do you believe in labels as in gay, straight, bisexual? I, 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 I don't, I actually don't because it, it really does put people in a box and it just, it, it, it tries to, you know, to box in people, you know? And I have known that when it comes on to, because people expect that gays behave, gay, gay folks behave a certain way, mm -hmm. you know? People think that being gay means that you're effeminate, means that you are, you think like a woman, mm -hmm. you know? And that is the furthest thing from the truth. You know, I mean, this is another podcast, obviously, but, um, <laughs> you know, I don't like the labels because at the end of it all, we're all human beings. We're all human beings and we go through our own experiences in life and we have our own journey and our own journeys. And um, every one of us should respect each person for who they are. Just respect each person and not, and because I mean, being gay is just, or my sexuality, it's just one little tiny part. It's not, it's not half of my life. Of, of who you it's are. Not, it's, it's not three quarters of my story. It's just one tiny part. There are many other facets to who I am as a person, you know? And some people just make it their business to, to focus on the sexual preferences of, of individuals. And, um, you know, that, you know, the, a, a, a good point is that if I don't tell you, you won't know. Yeah. yeah? Yes. And so if and so if I work with you and you you know you have all these accolades and accolades piling onto me, you know, and thing. And in the moment that I disclose to you what my sexual preference is, how will that how should that change anything? Because all of what I did before to support you and to help you and to help you grow in your professional capacity, uh -huh. you already said, you know, that was great, you know, you know. So once I say that, okay, that you know, this is my sexual preference. How would that now negate what I did in the past? So it just so just that thinking alone proves that you know it is really immaterial. It is immaterial, and people who are having certain biases and prejudice, especially when it when it when it when it when it when it re resides in hate, mm -hmm. you know, there's there's no place for that. There's you no said place for you that. said in your on your Instagram page under your profile pic, you said I am who I am because I love who I am. I see you as somebody who is living in the world of self-love. You're traveling the world, you know, you are engaging with the things that you love. You're engaging with your friends. 
how did you achieve this self-love, especially coming from a, such a traumatic past with your grandmother, as you said? You seem to have arrived at a place where self-love, why? You, 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 you're teaching us how to do it. <laughs> Tell me, uh, Kanu, how you, how you get this up? Um, it, it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process, it's a journey. It's the, it's the people and the persons that I come to come in contact with. And, you know, you have to learn to, 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 to judge, to sift through, to determine, you know, the persons who mean you well and those who don't. You have to, have, you have to, you have to always approach life, you know, with that critical consciousness, yeah? Mm -hmm. So I've always had persons in my life who are very supportive. I remember in pantomime, I was in a pantomime, and um, this was before the show started, and we're, you know, in our dressing room. So of course, you know, the guys in the dress in, in our dressing room, you know, we'd often like to walk through the ladies' dressing room. And one day I was walking through the ladies' dressing room, and one of my one of my um one of my fellow fellow actors, actresses, you know, said, you know, Knut, you're very gorgeous. So I, I snapped my head around and I said, Who are you talking to? And she said, You. I said, I said, no. And um, and another actress, you know came in and was, was there and said, no, Knut, you are a gorgeous guy. You are, you're handsome. Of course, I didn't believe it. I did not believe it because, you know, I grew up in a Jamaica where it's the Browning syndrome and you have to be a Browning to be somebody, you know? And I mean, Professor, the late Professor Nettipal spoke, spoke about snadification. Right. Everybody wants to be somebody. So I even, and that was, I was in my early twenties and I, and I still had doubts that I was a good and attractive man. I didn't like my dark skin, I didn't. And I remember asking my dad one day, why did he have to go with my mother? Because my mother was oh, dark skinned. I, met, I eventually met her. But why did he have to go with my mother? Because why didn't he go with somebody who was light skinned so that I could come out a little brownish? Oh yes, I did. Wow. You know, the whole <laughs> issue of hair. I never liked my hair. My hair was, I mean, I was called kinky hair, tough head, my hair, did, my hair was thick and you know, almost unmanageable. So I never liked that. So, you know, I went through my jerry curl phase of trying to get the curly hair. It never worked. It <laughs> never worked at all. And so I believed that I had bad hair. So, I mean, I went through all of these things. I went through all of these things, you know. So the pantomime, you know, that helped me to, to build some confidence. And then I, and, and I, it took me years of slowly, you know, slowly accepting it mm -hmm. um, into this confident man that I am today. But the theater I mean, helped, I, I, the theater I, world I, yeah, helped. It did, it did. I figured that if I don't love myself, no one else is going to love me. How can I? Because if I don't love myself, that energy will show. It, people will feel it and nobody will love me. And I saw something, that, because I'm always thinking, I'm thinking and processing and, Critical, you know, critically assessing things. So I, I, I actually had to just, you know, slowly love myself, love myself because others weren't loving me. And I realize now at 55 mm -hmm. that a lot of people, mm -hmm. people that I don't know, are hitting me up on Facebook. Uh, you say hot boy, I cannot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it is overwhelming. But it also feels good, you know, that people are gravitating towards me because, but, but I think it all works, it all turns out that way because people feel and see the energy that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the mm -hmm. good. So I don't focus on hate, I focus on loving myself. Mm -hmm. And when you love you when, you, when you bring that energy to you, 
others will see the same thing yes. and they'll want to approach you. Yes. So, you know, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's my experience. And, that's the uh, lesson here. That's the lesson here. When you, you, when you exude that energy, when you love yourself, love your energy, love yourself for who you are, you attract persons to you because that's, it's energy attract people. I know, I know what you look like necessarily, you know, true, energy. True. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 Canus, you are now an author, and I'm sure being an author has really propelled you all over the world. And I, I see you doing book signings all over in different cities. The book, the collection of poems, Pathology of the Pandemic. How did that come about? And tell us a little, tell us a little about the genesis of it and the yeah. impact it is having? It came about, of, obviously, because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when in 2020, in February, March, when the world you now was caught in this tailspin and, you know, every, every, everywhere was shut down and no one knew exactly what this virus was, how it was spread, no one knew at the time. And of course, it was all this fear when we heard of people in China dropping dead, you know, in Italy, in Spain. And so, of course, you know, in here in North America, you know, I mean, I was, I was scared because I, 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 I thought that, okay, maybe the world is coming to an end, you know? And so, you know, talking to my, my friends in the States and, and other places, you know, we were all scared. And one of the ways naturally that I, I gravitated to was, was the pen and paper and I just sat down and I just started writing because that kind of took away some of the anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was really, for me, self-therapy. It was really self-therapy for me, you know? I had no intentions of publishing or anything like that. And I would share the poems now with friends, you know, friends who were also scared. So it was a way of us trying to preserve, because it was for self-preservation. Right. And then my friends kept saying, Knud, this poem, this, you know, these poems are good. You know, they're helping me to deal with my fears and my anxiety. And I'm like, okay, good. So they would encourage me to continue to write. You know, it's kind of, you know, so I was forced to continue writing and I would share them on Facebook. And then I had a huge following on Facebook Live, you know, and then um, it hit me one day that um, maybe I should um, get them copyrighted because I didn't want to be sharing all of my poems on Facebook. And then, and then I realized a couple of months or a year after, people would have taken my work and published them. I was fearful for that. So I was advised to not do so again. And then, um, and then I, and I published, and I published. Um, a week after the book um, got published, it was a bestseller. I got a, I got a call and an email from the publishers that I'm a bestseller in Canada. I was like, wow. what? Wow. I was like, huh? how is that even possible? No yeah. one knows me. And then a year, not a year, another week after that, Amazon rated um, the book number one new release in Canadian wow. literature. Again, that was another mind-blowing mind situation. And I've been, you know, traveling around and, you know, having book launches here and there. Um, I like presenting in schools. So I've been doing a lot of um, presentations in schools because, you know, I'm a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I think students need to 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 benefit from from the poems and to um, to empower them. So I just came back from London and I spoke at three institutions: an elementary school, 
um, a high school and a college. Mm. And the reception was overwhelming. Wow. You know, overwhelming. I mean, one, one student, I think she's a college student, she said to me, um, she never dealt with the pandemic the way, she never dealt with it, never, you know, she was still, you know, afraid to speak to, to, to address it. And she said that, you know, the poems helped her to, to liberate herself. And it helped her to, it was like self-healing. And that was touching. That was very touching, very, very touching. The elementary school I went to, they are, it's, it's, it, the principal is a Jamaican who went to my um, college as well. And it is the top performing elementary school in the entire UK, the top, oh. top performing school in the UK. And um, I presented at General Assembly for them. And then I presented to the grade three students in one session, grade four, grade five, grade six. And Philip, I couldn't believe it. Those students were so engaged and engaging, you know? Yeah. And every time I was to leave a one, one group, group, year group session to go to the next, they didn't want me to leave. <laughs> they connected with the book. To the, it was amazing. It was amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh... So throughout all of this, you know, I've, because I never, I never accepted that, okay, I'm, I'm a publisher. And my friends keep saying, Canute, you have to accept it, you know, and accept it and love it, you know, don't run away from it. As black people, we were socialized to thinking that we don't deserve good. Yeah. We don't, you know, as, yeah, we were socialized, you know, and, oh, you can't go to Woolmers. No man, second for the school, you know? Yeah. And so I've changed all of that. And I let all my students know, let no one tell you that you can't. Whether you're, whether you're white, blue, black, yellow, orange, whether you're fat, skinny, middle, you know, muscular, whatever, whether you're, um, you have some disability or not, whether you're so-called straight, gay, whatever, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care, you know? So I, my job is to, is to blow life and empower students and empower people. Another, another gentleman last year called me um, on, on, on Messenger and he said that he bought my book and his ailing mother who was suffering from cancer she saw the, 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 the cover and she was, it, 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 it just stopped her in her track. And she has been reading the book and he said that she would not let it go. She had cancer and he said she has been in a lot of pain and that since she was reading the book, the quote she said was, um, this book has given me immense joy. Oh. When I heard that, Philip, I literally fell on the floor in my apartment. I literally, I couldn't believe it. It just hit me that, oh, so this book is not about me. Yeah. You know, it's bigger than me. Yeah. People are benefiting from the from the from the from reading these poems. And like I said, they were written, you know, for me, merely for therapy. And people are getting the same thing. They're getting some type of therapeutic help. No, I'm not a therapist. Let me just say that. But you and I know that when it comes to writing, yeah. you know, writing arouses um thoughts and thinking yes. and, and yes, yes evokes so i'm i'm, I'm happy that i could have i'm happy that my poems are, are 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 helping persons to deal with you know the loss and the trauma of the pandemic and that it that, speaks yeah that's really inspiring uh ladies and gentlemen my friend them out there we are talked to canute lawrence and we are talking with him book pathology of the pandemic a direct result of the coronavirus pandemic that hit us, hit all of us. And as a result of that, the writings are now helping people to heal 
Wow. Canute. Yeah. At 55, you are bursting with energy. <laughs> are you telling me you're 55? You know, me never, I, 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 me never, me never bring it up before, okay? Because I, mean, I like to bring up people's age, but I will bring it up. You're bursting with energy. Ageism is a topic that a lot of people go through. And as, as Black men, you know, it's, we don't think about it sometimes. But do you, do you fear aging? Right now, I don't. When I turned 40, I did. Ah, yes. Well, yeah, but you know, I mean, I, I was, I was, I was always, you know, um, of the feeling that you know, I want to remain young and exuberant and all of that, you know. And I remember when I was thirty-nine and and I approached my fortieth birthday, I put on a grand facade. Oh, forty and fabulous! Come on, we all do it, yeah. And I put on this <laughs> that I'm forty and fabulous. Mark, I me, mean, this, I me, mean, this still look good, you know. I me, mean, it look good. I me, mean, no, I me, mean, it look good. Yeah. But at the same time, I feared getting older and I said okay it's 40 I'm 40 now 10 years I'm 50 oh Jesus half a century mm -hmm. you know and I had a lot of fear and anxiety I had panic attacks I would get up in the night just panicking that I'm getting old because I just was not prepared you know to to get old um I dealt with it in my own way you know and um you know, turning 50, I decided that, you know, I'm going to embrace 50. I'm going to embrace 50 and I have been embracing it. And now at 55, you know, I, I'm, I'm just loving it. I'm loving who I am and um, not just loving who I am, you know, people and the, the community helps. It, it really does help. You know, I don't, I don't think each man or each woman is an island. I don't think so. We all are energy mm -hmm. and we live off and thrive off the energy of others. That's what, that's my feeling. So for me to say, oh, I did it on my own, that's that's a lie, no. So many people say to me, Canute, at 55, you look absolutely amazing. And I'm, I'm talking many friends and, and person I don't know. Mm -hmm. They say, you know, it, they're just, you know, even with the, with the silver, they call me silver fox. Mm -hmm. Even the silver, there's a Canute, it just, you know, it, it frames your face so well, you look so fresh. And so when, when, I, when I get that overwhelming support from others, then obviously it, it, it allowed me to face the truth and say, you know what, Canute? Yeah, it's true, accept it. You don't, don't, you don't need to, to doubt the fact that, you know, you are a 55-year-old, bubbling, exuberant, bright, smart person. Hot man, so, hot boy. <laughs> hot man, hot man. Daddy, the man called me daddy. Hey, see that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so guess what? You know, the community helps. You know, we we support each other. It's 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 the mutual thing. It's a symbiotic thing. You know, um, no 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 one is self-made. That's that's a myth. No one is self-made. You don't you don't say that you're self-made. You know, it's a community. The support of the community that helps us to grow or the, or the same community can tear us down the same community that's an excellent point that you just landed and i want to thank you for spending some time with me this morning i am really elated before you go though there's one question i normally ask my guests and 
it is that if one young person, one young person was listening to you right now, what is that one thing you would tell them? To the young persons out there, I know many of you, if not all of you, are going through some type of struggle, you know, some type of young men, young women, you know, dealing with trauma and struggles, and you don't feel as if you have anyone to confide in, don't give up, don't give up. You are not worthless. You have value, you have worth, you are enough, whether you're black like me, whether you're light-skinned, curly hair, straight hair, bandy leg, whatever it is, you know, you have a purpose in life and you can achieve the purpose, you know, find, find, find persons. You know, if you, if you surround yourself with people who are very negative and they said, you know, you can't do that. No, man, you don't look good. Oh no, run, escape from that crowd and find yourself and surround yourself with persons who will feed, who will pour into you, pour positive words, positive ideas, and then, and so you can foster a positive mindset. Yeah, you are enough. Whether you are gay or you or you think you're questioning or you know you don't you know you don't quite you're not quite you don't quite know or, or can figure out what what it is that you are. You are enough. You're enough. You know, I have questioned myself a lot of times, you know, and, and I pray, I pray and I go to church and I, and, and almost everything that I have prayed for, listen to me, I have got it. Wow. So if, if I am a black Caribbean, Jamaican, you know, gay man, well, the same God that you pray to is the same God I guess I pray to, you know? And I know God has given me many, many things. And I, and I, and I, I, I while I don't re um, re revel and in, my, in my success, I remain humble. I remain very, very humble. You know, I must say that God has been good to me. God, uh, wherever God is, God has been good to me. So to all you young people, just be focused. And you can achieve if you believe in yourself. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kanout. That was a meal, a full meal. I mean, I have to eat them first of the day. <laughs> but friend, them out there, we have uh, been having such a wonderful time. In case you missed it, you can go back and listen. But we're talking to Kanout, Kanout Lawrence. Kanout, I want to tell you thanks for sharing yourself with me, your spirit, your energy your wisdom, your knowledge, your truth with us this morning. And I do want to wish you all the very, very best for our next 55 years. Bridgerton, I hope I can get to see you. I understand you're coming to Jamaica uh, in, I think, this month for your yes. Myconian celebration. Tell me about that, man. Talk about it, promote it on the show. Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. So, um, so Michael University College now, um, my batch, the one the one forty ninth batch, we're having our thirty fifth anniversary celebrations at the uh, Michael University. It's from July twenty eighth to July thirty one. We have a whole host of events going on. The first day we're going to be um, having a family fun day at Mahogany Beach. It's a private beach. 
with, uh, with caves, and it looks like Strucker Cove, and their restaurants, it's only $500 to get in. Only $500 Jamaican dollars. So okay. even if you're not a Myconian, come on over and support, because we're trying to raise funds to purchase a smart board of a, of a, a half a million dollars for the college, for the university. And then we have a, a community outreach on, on the 29th at the Michael Ladies Hostel to do two murals and do some renovating and fix up work. We're having a big sports day on the 30th at the Michael campus. And we're going to have old time sinting come back again. Big Eel Boot, Bell Foot Pants, man. <laughs> all those kind of things. And the public is invited. There will be lots of security. Don't feel so you're covered well. And just come out and support. On the 31st now is the is the finale. We're having a dinner dance reception at the Jamaica Pegasus Hotel. The tickets are uh, 75 US. I'm not sure what the equivalent is. And so we just invite everyone just to come out and support Michael University College, support the batch, support education. That's what it's about. You know, do your little thing. And um, and so that's what's going to be going on when I come down in Jamaica. I'm going to be the MC at um at the okay, Jamaica. No, man. I mean, no, said that's yeah. nothing good. That's not that will be nothing good. Lord of and mercy. Of, <laughs> and of course, you know, the fashion is gonna be, I'm gonna I, I, my suit, my suit is gonna be lit, literally, uh -huh. literally lit. Okay. At the at the at the sports day, I'm gonna be coming out in my 70s at Dripper's pants. So I'm gonna have to come out and support the thing. I'm gonna have to come out. It's gonna yeah. be a show, guys. It's gonna be a show. We're going to run the 100 meter sprint and at 55, Minalu. What do you say? What do you say? Minalu. So stay there. Yeah, man. So people, come yeah, on. Come so. on. Yeah. All right, bossy. Ladies and gentlemen, ah, this is it. This is it, man. The energy of Canute. You can't miss that one there. And that's our show, guys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for being here, for sharing with us. And please remember now to, you can access this interview on Google Podcasts, on Anchor Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, and of course, on YouTube. Philip Clark's Lights, Camera, Real Life with Canute Lawrence. What good, my people. What good. Take care. Thank you. Walk good. <laughs> <laughs>